Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, State Representative John Cross has proposed legislation to crack down on Ohio municipalities that are dumping raw sewage into Lake Erie. A zero-tolerance approach, he says, is long overdue. Also this morning, when critics said legalizing marijuana was the first step down a slippery slope, were they right? Researchers are now looking into the potential benefits of LSD, magic mushrooms, and ecstasy, among others. We'll take a critical look. And we'll find out what's happening at the Findlay-Hencock County Public Library, including details about the Human Library Program this fall. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, July 26th, 2021. Today is Aunts and Uncles Day. Aunts and Uncles. Well, we've got Mother's Day, we've got Father's Day, we've got Grandparents Day. Why not Aunts and Uncles Day today? It is Holistic Therapy Day. National All or Nothing Day today. All or Nothing today. National Bagel Fest Day. National Coffee Milkshake Day. Now, maybe it's because I'm not really a coffee person, but coffee milkshakes just don't sound very appetizing to me, but that's what it is. It is World Tofu Day. Have some tofu with your coffee milkshake and your bagels, and you'll all be all set. And it is One Voice Day today. Speak with one voice. So... Back to work on a Monday, some strategies to help combat Monday work dread. This is from Psychology Today, the uh, trade magazine. I thought this was kind of interesting. Strategies to help combat Monday work dread. When you wake up and you think, I really don't want to go back to work. Some of this um, is maybe a little late, but you can keep it in mind for next week says work for a little bit on Sunday. Maybe you spend about an hour or so working on Sunday. Uh, by plugging in on the weekends, you can avoid anxiety of picking back up on Monday from scratch. So work for a little bit on Sunday, they say. Plan out your week. Uh, consider writing your plan down. Putting pen to paper helps you slow down and think about what you want to accomplish in the coming week. You can do that today. Find something during the work week to get excited about. While you're planning out your week and writing all of that down, also write out a list of things that make you happy, like listening to your favorite podcast on your commute or having sushi at your favorite spot on your lunch break. So find something during the work week to get excited about. Um, Planning low-key Sunday activities. Don't have a party on Sunday. Uh, maybe you might think that might be a good thing, but Monday dread is made even worse when you have, when you are fatigued, maybe a little dehydrated, uh, after some big shindig on Sunday. So plan low key Sunday activities instead. And lastly, they said, connect to a higher goal, find an inner motivation that sparks an urge to get out of bed Every morning, uh, a, a higher motivation, an inner motivation other than not wanting to get fired. That would be- 
To me, usually that's about the only thing that I need <laughs> to get me out of work uh, or get me out of bed and, and off to work on Monday is a strong desire not to get fired. But if that doesn't do it for you, find some sort of other inner motivation, I say. So did you uh, catch any of the Olympics over the weekend? Apparently, the ratings for NBC's broadcast of the opening ceremonies Friday night at the Tokyo Games were at a 33-year low. A 33-year low. So if you were wondering if a lack of fans in the stands and the delay by a year of the Olympics may have hurt the games, a 33-year low in viewership. Now, that being said, it says the audience was down 37% from the opening ceremony of the 2016 Rio Olympics, which was the last summer games. It was down 37%, down 59% from the London games in 2012. But that being said, it's still 16.7 million viewers, so still a pretty big audience. Across all platforms, including NBCOlympics.com and the NBC Sports app, 17 million people watched, with the streaming audience on those platforms up 76% from the uh, opening ceremony at the Pyeongchang Winter Games in 2018, and up 72% from the Rio games so some of the television viewership was likely siphoned off by streaming services but the ratings decline is part of a trend of lower ratings for live tv events including sports and awards shows because of the pandemic no fans allowed at any olympics event so fewer than 1,000 attendees were in the stands for the opening ceremony uh, mostly dignitaries and other officials and i must say i did catch a little bit of the opening ceremonies just a brief couple of minutes and it did seem a little odd just being an empty stadium so i mean i you would think that we would be used to that by now but it still was weird it was other stories here among the first things you need to know to get your monday morning started the united states postal service is about to get slower and more expensive Louis DeJoy, the Postmaster General, says he has approved a plan that says starting next month, the price of first-class stamps will rise from 55 to 58 cents, while the delivery time of first-class mail will drop from a guaranteed three days to just 79% being delivered within three days. So your mail may or may not slow down, but it is uh, likely that it will, and it's no longer being guaranteed to be delivered within three days. The change in delivery time for first-class mail will vary by zip code, but it seems the western states will be most affected, where places are more spread out and it takes longer to get from point A to point B. Uh, 21 state attorneys general disapproved of the plan, and the Postal Regulatory Commission's advisory opinion said the move would not bring much improvement, if any, to the current financial condition of the Postal Service. The changes for first-class stamps will take effect on August 29th. So, there is that. And Jeff Bezos had a bad week last week. Now, you would think, hey, he went to space, right? I mean, how bad could his week be? But, 
Apparently, you cannot call Jeff Bezos an astronaut. Uh, the billionaire found out that the FAA just tightened its rules for who and who who can and cannot be considered an astronaut. And this change in the rules happened right before Jeff Bezos' flight. Commercial launch crew members must be employed by an FAA-certified company performing the launch. They must reach an altitude of higher than 50 miles above the surface of the Earth during flight, and they must have demonstrated activities during the mission that were essential to public safety or contributed to human spaceflight safety. And by those criteria, neither Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson did not make the cut. Under the new rules, space tourists who pay for flights are also not eligible to receive astronaut wings. So, now correct me if I'm wrong, Richard Branson got his wings for being an astronaut prior to the rule change, but now I guess Jeff Bezos will not get his astronaut wings because technically, by the new definition, he's not an astronaut. So, bad day. I mean, he missed it by like 48 hours. He could have been... He could have gotten his astronaut wings, but uh, he missed it by like 48 hours. <laughs> Man, you spend all that money and all that time, risk your life to go into uh, low Earth, uh, well, not low Earth orbit, is near space, and you don't get your wings. That seems so anticlimactic. And not only that, but you remember on the... Uh, on the Blue Origin flight this past week, uh, the youngest person ever to travel to space, 18-year-old Dutch physics student Oliver Damon, uh, was one of the crew members on the flight, which was really cool. <laughs> but but apparently, it seems uh, he, <laughs> he laid a bombshell on Jeff Bezos at some point, uh, I, I guess right before the flight, he uh, told Jeff Bezos, I've never actually bought anything from Amazon. <laughs> Who is this kid? He's never bought anything from Amazon. <laughs> it seems that uh, Jeff Bezos, according to the report, it seems that Bezos was genuinely surprised by the declaration uh, saying, it's been a long time since I heard someone say that. Um, but, uh, he wasn't kicked off the flight. So I guess all's well that ends well, but <laughs> it was kind of a, uh, a bad day for, I mean, yeah, he went to space, Jeff Bezos, but <laughs> he got a, a couple of instant reality checks there, uh, over, over the past week. Anyway, some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started here. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, plenty of sunshine today with a high pushing 90. Clear skies tonight, a low of 66. A busy Finley intersection will be closing for approximately three months so it can be raised so it doesn't flood anymore. The Finley Engineering Department says the intersection of East Main Cross and East Street will be closed beginning today. At the end of the day, what this project is doing is raising the intersection of East Street East Main Cross as well as that clean course side. So if we ever receive any floods, such as the 2007-2017 flood, emergency vehicles will still be able to have access through there.
That's city engineer Jeremy Kalb. In June, Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway closed for the first half of the project, which is still underway. Both parts of the project are expected to be finished in October. Get more on our website. A doctor in northern Ohio who is a vocal critic of the crackdown on opioid pills for chronic pain patients has been convicted of overprescribing painkillers to 14 people. A federal jury convicted Dr. William Bauer of Port Clinton on charges of distributing controlled substances and health care fraud. Prosecutors say Bauer prescribed dangerous drug combinations and high doses of addictive narcotics that were not medically necessary. Bauer's attorney says he'll appeal the verdict. Dave James, ONN News. A new living facility for seniors has opened in Findlay. The village at Eastern Woods is located at 15105 Birchhaven Lane. The affordable housing complex is right down the street from Birchhaven Village Retirement Community and offers a convenient location next to top quality health care facilities. Get more on our website. The University of Findlay's Mazza Museum held their annual Young Artist Workshop last week. We spoke with visiting artist Amy Wellman as she was helping students with their Shadow Puppet Theater projects. They're cutting out puppets. We have some uh, suggestions for them to kind of get them started, but pretty much they grab on it and they run with it and they create a story of their own. So it's kind of using, we're using art and theater and science. So it's, it's a great project. The theme of the Young Artist Workshop this year was Steam It Up, and the young artists were exploring and creating using science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. Give more on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Now, our cover story this morning, State Representative John Cross on Friday proposed legislation to crack down on Ohio municipalities that are dumping raw sewage into Lake Erie. He says it's a zero-tolerance approach that is long overdue, and uh, State Representative John Cross, thank you very much for uh, taking taking the time for us uh, here this morning. When did you become aware that this was an issue and that something needed to be done. Kind of take us uh, through the, the timeline, the backstory, uh, if you will, of sure. what led you to introduce this or propose this legislation. Sure. Good morning, Chris, and thanks for having me on. And, and I apologize to all the listeners. Not a, uh, not a great topic to talk about over breakfast, but, <laughs> but a serious issue. Uh, I, I've been aware of this issue for a while. And it's something that I have uh, always wanted to engage in because our farmers here in the 83rd district continue to uh, be blamed solely on uh, uh, algae blooms and Lake Erie because of phosphorus and, and runoff. And a lot of big cities, particularly Toledo, seem to go to war with our farmers, blaming our farmers for, you know, the water quality issues. However, the city of Toledo was dumping raw sewage into Lake Erie for over 100 hours. The city of Sandusky and Port Clinton was caught dumping 80 million gallons of raw sewage into Lake Erie. And as recently, as you know, uh, and listeners may or may not know, the city of Maumee self-reported after 20 years dumping 150 million gallons of raw sewage uh, into Lake Erie. That that last story a couple weeks ago was kind of the 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 last story that 
was kind of, the, kind of enough of enough as the enough. tipping point for for you. Yes. Don't don't yes. these laws already exist though to pro- prohibit this uh, from from happening? Well, sadly, the the federal EPA allows and provides the state EPA to offer permits to dump sewage into Lake Erie. And a little bit of history here: back in the '60s and '70s, it was even worse. There was a study that a news uh, reporter put together from Buffalo. And as you know, Lake Erie covers from Detroit to Buffalo to Toledo. That Buffalo is dumping sewage into Lake Erie, and they estimate back in 2010, 41 million gallons. Excuse me, excuse me, I underestimated that. 41 billion gallons of sewage has been dumped into Lake Erie since God created Lake Erie. So, so obviously a, a big problem. And back in the 60s and 70s, uh, under the Clean Water Act and the federal government, they really went after a lot of pollution. But since that time, they uh, the state EPA allows permits to dump so much into Lake Erie. So- For example... Mommy was only allowed to dump 25 million gallons based on their state permits, but obviously they broke the law and and dumped 150. So would this legislation then completely shut that off, completely eliminate that, or just lower Mm -hmm. the threshold, or would that be up to the EPA? How would that work under your proposed legislation? Under my proposed legislation that, I'm, that I have introduced, it does two things. It would stop and it would pull all permits and stop the uh, dumping of raw sewage into Lake Erie. Is that 100% feasible? We don't know just yet, but it's certainly going to force the cities to look at improving their water, well, wastewater f- treatment facilities, making uh, the needed infrastructure improvements mm-hmm. so that doesn't happen in the future. But the, the, the big point of the bill is it's going to allow for greater fines. Believe it or not, and this is what really angered me, Chris, is when mommy dumped 150 million gallons of sewage into Lake Erie for 20 years, the state EPA only fined them $29,000. Give me a break. So that drop in the bucket. Drop in the bucket. As so it were. my bill, that's right. My bill will increase the fines up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the first offense, and a thousand dollars a day for every day that it goes on, up to one million dollars for any city that dumps a hundred million gallons or more. So certainly, we're trying to make a stronger impact. So there's a zero tolerance policy of dumping pollution and dumping raw sewage into Lake Erie. So as you were touching on before, it logically brings up the next question. Why are there, uh, are they dumping? Is it just a matter of expediency? Is it a, a, some sort of problem with the wastewater treatment that has not been repaired? Has it been growth in the, in the region that the system has not kept up with that growth uh, because uh, of a lack of funding? I mean, what is the reason for the dumping? Well, lack of aging infrastructure. You know, aging infrastructure, obviously you don't want sewage backing up into people's homes. 
So sadly, they're using Lake Erie as their cesspool yeah. to dump, you know, so, excess into the lake. So the ex- by extension, then the question is: Does this do anything, or should anything be done to uh, assist these municipalities in improving their infrastructure so that they don't have to dump into Lake Erie? Yeah, anymore? well, yeah, you know, great great uh, question. It's the carrot and stick approach. I certainly am trying to introduce legislation that drops the hammer and goes after, you know, this to stop and prevent dumping of sewage. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, we have a lot of federal money coming in and we have had uh, House Bill 168 that provides, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to help with infrastructure improvements. Now's the time for these cities to be using these federal one-time funding dollars to start making improvements into their water and wastewater infrastructure. And certainly, so, it, and certainly, it should be pointed out that if indeed we get an an infrastructure bill, it looks like there will be even more resources that will be available for that purpose. So, kind of pushing this to the top of the list, then. Absolutely. And and I've, you know, even said at the press conference, you know, to President Biden, you know, if you're going to put an infrastructure package out there, we need infrastructure that's going to help with water and wastewater. Yeah. Don't be putting a package together to build railroads to help Amtrak take empty trains to nowhere like they do in California. That's not what the infrastructure package should be. It really needs to be you know, helping with our, our, our roads, uh, our underground. People forget with, when we talk about infrastructure, it's sometimes what's underground. And as you know, in Finley and Kenton, we're dealing with 100-year-old aged infrastructure that needs improved. So there's a lot of cities, not just along the lakeshore, but all over Ohio that have aging underground infrastructure that needs to be redone by the way this legislation would this is this specifically targeted at those who are dumping uh into lake erie or does this also include other waterways such as the ohio river down to the south in the southern ohio well good point we have this focused on the lakeshore communities uh for lake erie but, you know, we certainly could look at expanding this for all lakes and all waterways. I mean, right here in the 83rd District, you have Indian Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got our, our waterways, our rivers. You know, it, it all affects, you know, what's an interesting, yeah. interesting history point here is in Kenton, Ohio, it's Summit Street. Everything north of Summit Street goes to Lake Erie. Everything south of Summit Street goes to the Ohio River. So, you know, certainly we're at the crest point uh, in the 83rd district where it breaks both ways. So water quality is number one important. And no matter if it's a, a lake, a river, we've got to, we've, we all have to do our part to make those improvements. But turning a blind eye and being uh, negligent to the situation is really uncalled for. Speaking of legislation, this is on a totally different topic, but I do want to ask you about this uh, because we were talking about it uh, last week a bit with uh, Senator Rob McCauley. The governor has teased uh, some additional incentives to encourage Ohioans who are not yet vaccinated to get the vaccine. Now, you were among those who were quite critical of the state's Vaximillion program when it was introduced. I would assume that you are no less uh, a fan or no more a fan of any additional incentives. Now, the governor hasn't 
to the best of my knowledge, taken the wraps off of what those incentives might might look like. But you, would you consider legislation to prevent the governor from uh, implementing these types of incentives in the future? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, uh, generally, yes. But again, when we talk about incentives, if the private sector wants to incentivize something, let the private sector do it. You know, and and the governor was using some federal dollars that were supposed to be used for marketing purposes. But but moving forward, if the governor and the and and is using government funding, I think the legislature should have some say and some input into that for sure. Let me make this point very clear to your listeners. We need, uh, Ohioans need to take their medical advice from their doctors. Stop taking your medical advice from politicians. We don't know what the hell we're talking about. (laughs) Talk to your doctor. If, If your doctor says you need the vaccination, listen to your medical experts politicians need to, to stop pretending like they're playing doctor here and we will leave it at that again uh, state representative john cross with us this morning mr cross thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it thanks thanks chris Well, you know, when marijuana first began to be used for legitimate medicinal purposes, many people were initially skeptical because early on, frankly, there wasn't a whole lot of research to support it. But as that body of scientific evidence has grown, so too has the acceptance. Well, now researchers are looking into the potential benefits of drugs such as LSD, magic mushrooms, ecstasy, among others. Dr. Joshua Woolley is the director of the Translational Psychedelic Research Program at UC San Francisco. And Dr. Woolley, what are you using these drugs to treat? Uh, well, we're, we're doing trials. We're involved in trials to try and treat uh, depress- depression, as well as chronic low back pain, bipolar depression. Um, we're even uh, working on a study where we're going to try and see if we can help people with methamphetamine use disorder. So, uh, Many different disorders uh, that cut across different um, criteria. And and you argue that these psychedelic drugs are on the brink of transforming modern medicine? How so? Well, that's a bold statement. I guess I would say the, early, the studies that have been conducted uh, in the last uh, 10 years suggest that these drugs have a lot of potential to treat conditions that are currently not easily treatable. Um you know, it's still early days, but if the promise is fulfilled, if the, the, the early, the preliminary, the early work is replicated and extended, I think this could be a paradigm shift for certainly psychiatry. For example, um, if it just take depression, you know, the, the current treatments for depression, you, you have to take every day. They take a long time to work. For some people, they're lifesavers, but for a lot of people, they're not. Psilocybin therapy, you take a single dose of psilocybin, with psychotherapy as a package. Uh, and then people feel better for weeks to months or m- maybe forever. We're not sure yet. Uh, and that's a real paradigm shift. Now, you acknowledge that overcoming decades of negative stigma is the key here, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I know that there are going to be a lot of po- folks hearing us uh, talk about this that are uh, going to be unconvinced. Um, and, and this is, frankly, more than just stigma. One of the other compounds that you are studying is ketamine, which is a well-known date rape drug. 
Well, I, I think, you know, any drug can be misused and used for nefarious purposes. Ketamine is an uh, anesthetic. It's been used for decades uh, for enduring surgery. Uh, and it's actually being used widely for uh, antidepression, um, as a uh, depression treatment. Um, but we saw what happened with OxyContin, for example. Isn't it a valid concern that history could repeat itself and this could be another avenue for more of this stuff to end up on the streets? Uh, well, I guess theoretically it's possible. I mean, you know, psychedelic mushrooms grow widely in the, you know, people grow, can grow them all they want, mm-hmm. really. Um, we, we are trying to see if, if we can bring it into, uh, you know, Western medicine in a controlled way. Uh, obviously there have been a lot of uh, bad actors, uh, in the pharmaceutical industry, no doubt, pushing medications and causing you know, widespread uh, misuse. Mm-hmm. The other thing to think about is that psychedelics, if you think about the, the addictive potential of drugs, um, psychedelics are actually on the low end, much lower than mm-hmm. opioids and, and benzodiazepines and nicotine and alcohol. So, I think the risks actually are pretty low. We mentioned the 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 stigma and the fact that again, when marijuana began to be used medicinally, uh, there was at the time, at least initially, uh, a lack of of verifiable scientific research. Where is the science on this? Is there evidence for using uh, psychedelics medicinally? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I guess I want to make it clear. I'm not. I'm not recommending people go out and use this out in the community. But there are clinical trials of of using psilocybin in very controlled uh, settings um, to treat depression. There was just a paper that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine, for example, uh, showing this, um, as well as for several addictive disorders. Uh, I, I would say that the, it's it's promising. More work needs to be done. The FDA is involved, and and you know. Um, has given breakthrough status to two companies that are conducting psilocybin uh, for depression trials. And, uh, you know, when, when, when we get the results of those trials in the next year or two, uh, I think the FDA is probably going to really consider whether or not to reschedule these drugs. Because again, yeah, because again, in the minds of many, uh, these uh, would be considered harder drugs uh, than, than marijuana. And I would venture to guess that you will need even more research, uh, even more proof to get mainstream medicine on board with this. One of the arguments against medicinal marijuana, again, using that as kind of the benchmark, is that there are no dosing recommendations, no universally accepted standards of use. If you're talking about psychedelics, that's going to be even more important, is it not? Absolutely. I would say that, yes, I mean, psychedelics are not without risk. And so that's why we and others are doing clinical trials. Many different drugs in the wrong dose are poison, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's really important that we figure out what the right dosage is and, and the right way to administer it. Uh, you know, and, and we and others are doing work to try and figure out exactly what is the right dose to use for which condition. And again, sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit, as we have seen with marijuana, a number of states have used the legalization of medicinal marijuana as a springboard to the legalization for recreational use. And some will point to what we're talking about today and say, see, I told you so, that slippery slope argument. Is there any concern about some of these uh, other drugs uh, following that same path? Again, we talk about removing the stigma, but you don't want to remove the stigma too much. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, I think the psychedelics is, is actually going the opposite way, where decriminalization uh, is leading in, ahead of uh, medicalization. Right? Like Oregon 
had passed a law decriminalizing uh, psilocybin, you know, the mushroom. Medicinal psychedelics is not a legal thing anywhere, right? I mean, the FDA is allowing us to do clinical trials of it yeah. at this point, but it's not a a thing that's open, you know. Um, and so uh, I'm not sure that the medicinal part is leading to the decriminalization part. Again, uh, Dr. Joshua Woolley is a director of the Translational Psychedelic Research Program at UC San Francisco. Where do we get more information about this research? You mentioned this is still in its early stages, but does show promise. Where do uh, folks learn more? Uh, you go to our website, which is psychedelics.ucsf.edu. Dr. Woolley, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Sometimes, your eyes play tricks on you. It happens to the best of us. Police in British Columbia, Canada, responded on Thursday to a report of an alligator loose inside a high-rise condo building. Now, I don't know that much about the native species of Canada, but I'm guessing that alligators are rather rare <laughs> in British Columbia. I don't know that they have a whole lot of alligators. Police officers responded, arrived at the condominium building where a woman reported that she was hiding from a loose gator inside the building. The officer noted that the complainant was relieved to discover that the gator was actually just a realistic fake. Somebody had put a, a statue. And what makes this interesting is that the uh, fake alligator was gold colored. <laughs> now, again, I don't know. Maybe in British Columbia, they haven't seen an alligator before. They didn't know that alligators weren't gold colored. But <laughs> I think maybe the better question is, why does someone in British Columbia have a statue, a golden statue of an alligator on their condo balcony? I don't know. Dateline, Florida, where they do have alligators. This is this is another story. Didn't we have a, a story very similar to this a couple of days ago in the broken news? I think this is a different story. My apologies if this is the same story that we told you about a few days ago. But I think this is a, a new story. A man returned home from a doctor's appointment, got an eyeful after he discovered a woman skinny dipping in his pool. Didn't we just have a neighbor's uh, stranger skinny dipping in the pool story? Uh, how often does this happen in Florida? I, I, the man tried to convince the naked swimmer to get out, but she refused. So he called the cops. When officers arrived, she became hostile and refused to cooperate. Once she was lured out of the pool and after she was dressed, officers took her to the Charlotte County Jail, where she refused to identify herself. Police eventually figured out she was using her uh, police figured out who she was by using her mug shots from prior arrests. So maybe this is the same person who just did it again. I don't know. She has been charged with trespassing and resisting arrest. <clears throat> Here's the question. And I apologize if this probably sounds sexist, but if I come home and I found find a naked girls you know swimming in my in my pool am i calling police right away i don't know 
I don't know that I am necessarily. <laughs> uh, anyway, I just I thought I'd throw that out there. Mendeville, Louisiana. Uh, man is 30-year-old uh, Paul Darby, is his name, is awaiting sentencing after being found guilty of committing a lewd act on the side of Highway 190. <laughs> well, you know, when the mood strikes, I guess, District Attorney Warren Montgomery confirmed that Mr. Darby was found guilty of obscenity last week. Police say he was found sitting on the tailgate of his truck with no pants engaged in a uh, <clears throat> lewd act. Just pulled over by the side of the highway, <laughs> dropped the tailgate, dropped his drawers. <clears throat> but nature takes its course. Mr. Darby faces three years in prison and is due to be sentenced next month. <laughs> oh, man. That must have been quite a sight for passing motorists, I would imagine. A 14-year-old boy in China is now in hot water after reporting his father to the police for illegal child labor. <laughs> An officer accompanied the boy home to investigate the matter, was flabbergasted to learn that his father, who was sick of seeing his son glued to his smartphone and ignoring his homework, simply took the boy's phone away and made him do house chores to teach him a lesson. <laughs> Kid went to the police station and reported his father for illegal child labor. Now, note, under Chinese law, as in America, housework does not constitute child labor. So the parent was in the clear. The officer did advise the father to discipline the teen, adding that uh, taking his smartphone away for a while seemed like a good idea. However, the lesson seemed to be lost on the boy. <laughs> Apparently, the kid's response to having his cell phone taken away was, quote, do you really think I only have that one mobile phone that is so naive of you? Wait, what? <laughs> it barely has more than one. And, <laughs> and finally, in the broken news this morning, did you hear about this? The city of San Francisco is considering spending big money for a better trash can. Officials will consider 15 prototypes of trash cans, public trash cans. 15 different prototypes have been commissioned with a price tag of between twelve dollars and $20,000 each for trash cans. They are trying to build a trash can that does not spill over when it gets full. And will hopefully keep people from searching through them, <laughs> going dumpster diving in the trash cans. Uh, whatever design they pick, they hope to build it on a mass scale for maybe just a couple of thousand dollars each. That still seems an exorbitant amount of money to spend on a trash can just so it doesn't spill over when it gets full. Here's another alternative. Just empty the trash cans more often. I, I know that sounds crazy, but... That might be a logical alternative. There you go. 
Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Oh, hey, Doc. Mr. Davis, how is your arm feeling? Unfortunately, it hurts since the injury. Well, let's see how we can safely manage your pain. You don't have a high risk for addiction, so let's talk about if pain meds are a good choice. Do you have any questions? Aren't pain meds dangerous? How do I make sure I don't get addicted? How do I make sure my kids don't get a hold of the pills? Are there other ways I can get back to my normal activity besides pain meds? Great questions. Let's talk about your options. Talk to your doctor about safe pain management to ensure a healthy and happy recovery. Visit TakeChargeOhio.org. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. New survey of 2,000 adults, adults now, say that nearly three-quarters of them, 73%, say they can't imagine going even one day without looking at a screen. That would be TVs plus computers, tablets, mobile phones. 73% of adults can't imagine even going one day without looking at a screen. To one poll survey comes as researchers say that adults spend about six hours each day in front of their screens. 60% of the survey respondents estimate they spend more time looking at screens while working from home since the pandemic began than they do when they're going into the office. They can't imagine going a day without screens. 64% admitted they spend too much time looking at them. The average person estimating only 47% of their screen time is spent on productive things. So at least we recognize that we have a problem. (laughs) Nearly half, 45%, say they are open to and feel positively about the idea of a screen break. And just over one-third said that they have started cutting themselves off from screens by about 9 p.m. each evening. It apparently is not working, but at least we're trying. It is hard to believe that we're looking ahead to August already. Man, this summer is flying by. Joining us this morning to talk about uh, what's going on, the Findlay-Hancock County Public Library is Adult Services Manager Joel Manti. And uh, Joel, first of all, thanks very much for uh, being with us. We appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Obviously, uh, you've got lots of things going on at the library. want to focus in on something that we talked a little bit about with Sarah last month and really starting to kick in the effort to put this together, and that is the Human Library Program. Explain what this is for those who have not heard about it before. Sure thing. Uh, The Human Library is an opportunity for uh, people uh, we're looking for the books right now, the, the human books, uh, to step forward to tell their stories. Um, but then here in October, we're going to have those people telling their stories to uh, the, the people that come out to the human library to hear all of the different stories that we're able to gather and look, look at the stories and look at stories, not stereotypes, um, to see all the different aspects of what's in our community. So talk a little bit about what the inspiration for this was. Kind of take us through the genesis of this idea. Sure. So the library started a new strategic plan this last year, um, and part of it is uh, diversity and inclusion. And one way we can do that is to show the diverse makeup that makes up Finley and what makes it great. Um, So 
we we got approached by uh, Jazz Bradley from Spectrum, and she said they they're doing this human library. It, it started back in 2000 in Denmark, but it's in Ohio in in America, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's all around. And wondered if we would want to take part in this as well. Um, so we we thought about it. We said yes, let's do it. Um, so they're. they're they gave us the, sort of the inspiration, mm-hmm. uh, and we took it off from there. Uh, we're going to partner with the Finley Finley High School, um, but we're really going to be able to get get people to come out and share their stories. We're going to try and get some veterans, cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, and people that you may not be able to just sit down and have a conversation with. Um, that's not just part of your regular life that you could sit down and, and hear their story and find out what makes them unique. Um, and that not everyone, not every person experiencing homelessness has the exact same story. Not every yeah. cancer survivor has the same story and what makes them unique and a vibrant part of our community and what makes Finley great. Yeah, the there's that old adage that every life uh, has a story. And I guess that was going to be actually my next question is what types of stories are you looking for specifically? Yeah, we're we're looking for for every walk of life. Um, I know so far we we we're, we're we've gotten a handful of applications already to be the books, mm-hmm. um, but we we are definitely looking for for more people. Um, we're looking for veterans, the cancer survivors, the people experiencing homelessness, um, single mothers that have have come out the other side and and yeah. are wanting to share their story, uh, re- re- recovering addicts, and how how they're disease has affected them and hopefully how how things have turned around and how things are getting better for them so um, so, so I th- because i think when we talk about diversity initially the first thing that people think are differences based on uh, ethnic backgrounds or religious backgrounds and certainly uh, that is welcome as well but you're also looking uh, at life experience diversity of life experience for sure for sure we 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 do hope to get um a number of diverse people as well, and uh, but this is a, a form of diversity also. Um, but do hope to see some some people from a variety of walks of life that can be able to sit down and share what all they've experienced. So, if somebody were to volunteer to be a human book uh, in this human library, what would they be expected to do? I mean, you're not looking at yeah. them to write down their story and create a <laughs> literal book, uh, just kind of uh, sharing, but I guess, you know, you'd have to put together at least some notes to, <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you talk about your, your story? Is there some guidance exactly. or, or something available for those uh, we, who might be interested? We will be meeting with um, the, the volunteers that are stepping forward to be the books mm-hmm. um, to, to uh, about a couple weeks ahead of time to say, here's what it'll be like um, and sort of try and walk them through what to expect from people that come up um, and how, how it might, it might be them sitting down and them just sharing their story for 15 minutes of mm-hmm. what the highlights might be. It might be the person that sits down, just sits down and has a list of questions for them of, I, I've never mm-hmm. been able to sit down with a person that experienced homelessness before. Yeah. I, I have these questions. Um, so help, sort of experience helping, helping them prepare for that. Um, but also to, let them uh, have sort of a, a table of contents of different parts of their story that they would want to 
have people dive into yeah. uh, throughout their, their their time to sit down with them so that it's it's a little bit of guided for the person sitting down. I want to hear about this part of your story that I see here. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that uh, should be the, the, the other part of the question. What type of uh, venue, uh, what type of forum uh, do you envision for folks to share these stories? Yeah, so it will be at the, the Finley High School uh, out in October 16th. It's going to be in the cafeteria. Um, so it'll be uh, at one of their lunch tables, uh, just sitting across from people. It, hmm. it can be just purely one-on-one. If a couple comes out, they can sit together with the person and, and ask their, hear, the, hear the person's story, ask their questions. Um, it is a, a safe space, though, that we do want the, the books. They're, they're bearing themselves to people. Sure. Um, it, it should be a very welcoming so- place for everybody to be able to express themselves. Um, that, that if either the book or the, the reader, um, either person starts to feel uncomfortable that they want to walk away, they would be able to do that yeah. as well. If, if it's so, getting too much for a person. Yeah. So, so is it all that kind of, uh, one-on-one type or, or small group types of uh, discussion or will the, uh, individuals be standing up in front of the crowd and saying, here's, you know, part of my story. And then later on they can interact with the uh, individuals. It will be more, it will be all sitting down one-on-one type situation, small group. Um, We will have signs up out in the lobby of who the books are, of Mm -hmm. their book title and a a picture and sort of their their table of contents of what they would be able to talk about Mm. um, so that you can sort of put, put holds on them so you can check them out when it's the time slot that you can sign up for. Really interesting stuff. So just to kind of give people an idea uh, to encourage folks to sign up. And as you mentioned, there is an application process. Kind of take us through this real quickly. What is involved in becoming a book and becoming part of the Human Library Project? So on the library's website, finleylibrary.org, there is a little square that says the Human Library. It goes to through the explanation, um, but then there's also just a link to go to a form that you can start filling out. Um, but it's just asking just general questions of, of mm-hmm. your age, all of that <laughs> basic information. Um, but then asking um, why you want to become a library, what uh, why become a book, um, what life experience are you really wanting to to share with with the readers that come in, and and how how life has affected you and shaped you and yeah. made you a great unique person um, that you're wanting to share information. But we do also have paper forms that they can stop in and pick up at, at the library um, and be able to fill out and turn in also if, if you don't want to use the computer to, to fill stuff out. As we said, uh, every life has a story and it is the diversity of those stories that make us uh, a great community and a great country and the Findlay Hancock County Public Library's Human Library Program. Big push for that as we uh, come up into the month of August. More information on the library's website, which we have linked up at goodmornings.net. And again, Adult Services Manager Joel Manti with us this morning. Joel, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the pandemic has inspired many to purge all that is unnecessary from their lives. Maybe it's a good time to simplify your wallet as well. We'll explain. 
Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.